Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, of course, with the incredible Tina Spring. And today, since this is one of our first after-the-holidays podcasts, we decided that we should probably talk about things you can do for training your dog during these not-as-lovely months and or maybe suggestions about what you might want to do to make things better next year at the holidays. So with that in mind, Tina had some great suggestions. So that's why I'm introducing because she is going to be brilliant with all of her wonderful suggestions that I did not think of. So there you go, Tina. It's all yours. Happy 2022. We're having a little bit of an out-of-body experience because it's middle of December when we're recording this. So we're looking forward. We're assuming we haven't all been hit by a meteorite or something. So um, so happy 2022. We hope your holidays were merry and bright and restorative and a blessing to you. Before we started talking today to record the podcast, I was saying to Julie, I finally got smart enough to remember a problem that happens every single holiday that I trip over every single year. And so we're going to begin today by saying, as we end the holiday season, as that starts to come to a close, we want you to just take a moment and write down some of the things that you would like to have go differently next year. Because we're beautifully positioned. Like if your dog freaked out about the New Year's Eve fireworks, well, guess what? Fireworks are going to happen again July 4th weekend. So we have six months to get that more comfortable for our dog to have a plan and to work on it and to execute it. And if your dog was an obnoxious jerk with the tree, well, we have a whole year to get ready and to prepare and to work on that so that it goes even better next year. Now, lest you be under the wrong assumption that I am wise or brilliant at all, I will tell you the thing we have struggled with the last, I don't know, 10 years. So I have a cat. He's 11. His name is Quinn. He's a hot mess. He thinks he's a dog or a monkey or a goat. I don't know, something. But like all cats, he is mesmerized by ribbon. In particular, the ribbon that goes on holiday gifts. And we have, we are blessed in our family, not me, but we have other people in our family who are amazing gift wrappers, right? So they send these ornately wrapped, absolutely stunningly beautiful parcels and packages to give us their love from across the country. And our cat chews on those ribbons and vomits all over the gifts every year. And every year I'm yelling at the cat in the middle of the night, stop eating inedible things and I'm trying to barricade ribbons and like all the nuttiness. And I forget every single year. So this year, as parcels have been arriving, I open the shipping box. And if there are ribbons on the beautifully wrapped, amazing packages, I, I'm leaving those gifts in the shipping box and they will be unboxed <laughs> before we open gifts so that I'm not cleaning up cat barf and, and mad at the cat. And I think most of us, as we move through the holidays, have a short, hopefully, list of things that our dog or cat does that 
is frustrating that we will forget about because we move on to the next thing. It's the natural thing. We forget. We forget whatever the thing was, right? So whether it's, okay, I can't have grapes on the table because the grandkids drop grapes on the floor and that's dangerous for the dogs or Aunt Mildred brings her ferret with her. Poor Mildred. I throw her under the bus. Then I, we have a we have to have a plan for the ferret. Who brings a ferret? So I, mean, I had someone bring rats to my house. Wow. They didn't talk to me about it ahead of time. We survived it. All, and the rats did too. But it took a minute. I bet. To, for my brain to sort through all that. So what are some things... Do you remember anything um, from last year, Julie, that you're like, yes. wow, especially like Clementine was a year in Clementine's life is a long time. So, I mean, this year she's perfected sitting on the kitchen table and looking out the windows and waving to the neighbors. So was there anything that you thought maybe to add to your list of things that maybe we would like to adjust for Clemmy for next year? <laughs> Well, the idea of having food anywhere in the house below, I don't know, five feet from the ceiling, that's one thing. Because um, like last night, I Brad had a small bowl of ice cream, and I don't know what he did with his brain, but he left the small empty bowl of ice cream on the kitchen table. And I was upstairs, and I heard this clink, 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 clink. And it was Clemmy's tags, of course, knocking against the bowl as she stood on the kitchen table. and licked the bowl clean. So um, what I would say is one of the things that I learned, um, and I learned this from my Shih Tzu several years ago, my sister-in-law sent us a M&M dispenser and a huge bag of M&Ms, and I didn't realize it was M&Ms. And the Shih Tzu ate the entire bag and then vomited it on my white rug. What I learned very early on was that if anybody sends us anything, I open it up and make sure that there's nothing in there that's edible. Because the last thing I want is for my dogs to get into, you know, chocolate again, or, you know, dried fruit or yeah, he said, or macadamia nuts. So that's one thing that that I have been pretty good about. Last year, I think we put an X pen around the Christmas tree because Clementine was like, this is just too fascinating. And I really ought to be able to, you know, take a branch or two off just to chew. So I had the X pen at the ready so that in case this year, if she was interested in the tree, we could at least prevent her from getting to it. And um, that was not necessary. But but the X pen was there in case I needed to block off the Christmas tree. And I also have, um, you know, a one year old granddaughter. So X pens also. And I will say this, like, I have lots of families who I've always talked about the X-Pen for the dog. And they, like, sheepishly say to me later, okay, so to be honest, sometimes I put me in the X-Pen. Sometimes I put the baby in the X-Pen. Like, the X-Pen is multi We don't really call it an X-Pen anymore. We, we just call it, like, the gate of delight. Sometimes I think we talk about safety. Like, what's, what's the dog going to do? And sometimes I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Like. What are the macadamia right. nuts going to do, right? They're they're dangerous to your dog, right? So sometimes, sometimes having the gate up to keep the the crazy contained or the um, high pressure thing would be. So I think how we use gates and things can be adjusted 
to manage things that are points of hazard or pressure. And we can be much more flexible about that. Just because you bought something that claims it's a pet pen doesn't mean that it can't contain a Christmas tree or that it can't block the entry to the dining room. Absolutely. In fact, when um, just a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, my daughters and I had a weekend at our cottage together and we had um, my most recent granddaughter, Elizabeth, who was only a few months old at the time, and Zuzu. And so we had an X-Pen out of the cottage, and we had a big fluffy dog bed. We put the dog bed inside the X-Pen, and that's where Elizabeth would nap because it was a nice, convenient place to put her. And Zuzu didn't mind. Zuzu did her own thing. So we used it in a variety of ways. Sometimes Zuzu was in there. Sometimes Elizabeth was in there. So I think that if you're willing to be creative, things can go really well. And, in fact, we did the same thing at Thanksgiving was I had some projects for my grandkids to do, and I didn't want the dogs in the middle of it. So in the living room, we put up gates or expense so we could have a craft table in there for the kids to do it. And if they drop stuff, then Clemmy wasn't going to start chewing on the glue stick or whatever, because I would imagine that would be something Clementine would do. You know, the other thing I've learned, candy canes are have to be at a certain height. That's, I learned this a long time ago. Candy canes must be at a certain height on the Christmas tree if I'm going to do candy canes. And no sugar-free ones because those are really, really dangerous. Yeah, because those have xylitol. So, so what I would say is like after – so kind of the deep breath that we all take after the first of the year. As we're taking that deep breath, writing down not just what was difficult but what, what worked really great. You're like, wow, it was a really good idea to take the dogs for a run and then give them their breakfast frozen in their crates in topples and rumbles and a- assortment of of frozen dog food treats while kids open presents was brilliant. That was a great way to do it. Um, then you can keep the traditions that worked really great for your dog and your kids and your family and you can replace the ones that didn't work exactly the way you wanted by adjusting them so that it goes better for next year. And you'll get to practice at all of the holidays this year, right? We get another look at big changes visually at Halloween. And we get big changes again. We get fireworks again at the 4th of July. We get gifts again at birthdays and Father's Day and Mother's Day. So we get little microcosms of the holidays over and over and over again. Um, And so we can make that more enriched and better, taking a new swing at it every single time. So one of the things I was also going to, I was going to say something that you said to me before the podcast that I wanted to throw in here was write these things down, put them on a piece of paper and store them with your Christmas stuff, especially the stuff that you bring out the very first. So the list is right there. The other thing you might do is just make a copy of it and put it on your refrigerator so that when the next holiday comes up, it's there. But uh, it it doesn't hurt to have several copies of it in different places so that you always have a place to reference it. Right. So, I mean, if, if if the ribbon thing works better this year, then I might Kind of take a measure of, okay, about how much storage space did I need for all those beautiful gifts with ribbons all over them? 
and then figure out a way that they could be stored in a more pleasant environment than the shipping box they were in so that they're there and we can appreciate them and the house still looks pretty. Well, one of the things you could think about is, you know, is after Christmas is when all the sales happen. So that would be a great time to go out and buy those large Christmas bags that you could put those gifts in. You could even put the shipping box inside the big bag. So you're not going to spend an exorbitant amount of money because everything's going to be 60% off. Yes. Well, and for example, one of the things I would say, like I'm getting a bunch of calls again. It's mid-December when we're recording this for release in, in January. I'm getting a lot of called from people calls from people whose dogs are flipping out about all the UPS and Amazon and assorted deliveries happening at their house. And so we're having conversations about how to work through that. Like, yes, we can all be frustrated by all the things our dogs are getting wrong, or we can go, okay, this is a great time to practice the stuff that's making me frustrated with my dog. So how can I adjust management and do training? And the same thing is true through the winter. Now, we have people, I'm sure, who listen to the podcast who are in Florida who are like, winter, what are you talking about? They're taking full advantage of beautiful weather all winter, and they're dreading trying to work with their dog outside or in public when it's hot as blue belt blazes outside. Um, but for most of us, we're like, oh, the dog's going to be in the house all the time and the kids are going to be in the house all the time and we have to do training and oh, how are we going to do it? And today we're going to try to talk about some of the really great opportunities that winter and kind of yucky weather gives us to work through some of those things. So Julie, what's your number one, like you're in Ohio, so you already probably have crummy weather. Oh, Ohio is uniformly gray. We just, if you look at the, you know, like the color of tarmac when it kind of ages and it's gray, well, that's the color of the sky. Yeah, Ohio's not known for its enchanting winters. It's lovely when it gets snow, but we're just below the snow line. Okay, so for Zuzu, what's one thing that you would like to work on through the winter? And how would you do that when maybe the weather is inclement and not so pleasant? Well, she used to be a great traveler, but Due to something that happened, she had a bit of a trauma in a car. So she, depending on the car, she will be anxious. So one of the things I was thinking of working on was when it's nice weather, I tend to, to, to walk to the post office or I'll walk down to the grocery store. But in clement weather, I do short trips. So this would be an opportunity for me to work on making Zuzu more comfortable in the car because we'll do a lot more short little trips. Perfect. That's a really great example. Yeah. So she'll get in and out of the car just fine, and she's she's okay. It's just once we start moving, she's like, oh, wait, um, I'm not comfortable anymore in the car. The other thing is, is, is she's comfortable in my Jeep, but I'm getting a new car, so I want to make sure that I don't I don't know how she's going to respond to my new car. So that will be a challenge for me to see if I can get her comfortable in my new car. So it's a it's a liminal time, right? We we want to build success with that new car, so. So that'll be good, too. It'll be a good opportunity to go, oh, the scary things only happen in the old car. They don't right. happen in the new car. Yeah. I love that. Um, is there any grooming or handling or veterinary kind of stuff? Like, will you do any conditioning for that through the winter? Like, I don't know, work and getting her more comfortable with a mani-pedi or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking, in fact, I did buy the book that you recommended 
on husbandry, which I can't remember the name of the title on that. I don't have it sitting right here. Seven steps to awesome husbandry. That's a, that's a misquote, but. We will have a link to it on the website so you can get the actual name. But anyway, so yes, I do. Zuzu's very sensitive about having her top, her paws touched. Like even when she's asleep next to me on the couch, if I reach over and just touch her paw and massage a little bit, she's like twitchy. So um, that's something that we need to work on. And I think the winter's a great time for that because they're spending so much more time inside. And it's something that you can do easily. You know, just um, one of the things I do is, is like if we're watching TV or something and Zuzu's curled up next to me, I try to just gently massage her paws just a little bit and then let go. A little bit and let go. So she's getting used to me handling her paw. Yeah. I've been really, really impressed with the cooperative care book. One of the things that I'm really, really impressed on with that book is that she knows that we're all going to try to cheat and go straight to toenails. And she's like, stop it. Go back. Start over. Start at step one. And that it is a whole program. And she wants you to go through all of the steps. And I'm just as oppositional as every other dog trainer. Like, I want to do everything my own way. I have surrendered to Dr. Jones. Don't tell her. And I'm doing it her way. And it's working great. Like, my, I was able to do chiropractic for the Barfy cat that we just talked about on his birthday. And he hung around afterwards. He didn't just go, okay, I'm glad that's over and then disappear for three days. He, like, stayed engaged and was like, no, I'd like more handling, please. So. It's not just our canine brethren. It's also our feline brethren. And I've seen some people on the Facebook group who have all sorts of different species that they're doing it with. It's fantastic. It's absolutely wonderful. And I'm finding that work relaxing and bonding with my dogs, which is amazing, right? I can do five minutes a day and I feel like I've connected with them maybe in ways that I have not connected previously. And it's shifted my understanding to be as grateful for a no as I am for a yes, which is a bitter pill for a crossover trainer to swallow. But I I have wrapped it in honey and I'm getting over it. So um, it's been a really wonderful um seed for discussion with families about we we all like the idea of consent until we hear no <laughs> and per- perhaps that is the room for grace so um so anyway the cooperative care book's been unbelievable and i i cannot highly enough recommend it so what about for clinic? well i was just gonna say um i was i hope to do a cooperative care for both of them that's on my agenda for after the new year is to really work on cooperative care for both of them. Um, and of course for, for uh, who knows, Clementine's just such a bad dog. I mean, she's so sweet and we love her to death, but she's just, there's just something innate about a clumber. No, there, do you remember when you told me you were getting a clumber? I went, Oh, have you, have you worked with a clumber? Cause they're yes, fabulous. Like, I love them. I am also crystal clear I would not want to live with one. Because the level of naughty is fabulous. Oh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. She's just hysterical. She is so funny. And if she weren't so funny, she'd be dead. 
I mean, that's just all there is to it. But it was so funny because Brad said to me the other day, he's looking, he goes, oh, I wonder what cumber means. And I said, I think it's old English for bad dog is what I think it actually stands for. It, it's from the Clumber estate. She's named for the estate at which the breed was originated. So I think cooperative care for both of them. But one of the other things I was thinking of is to work on a little bit of sort of ingraining patience in both of my dogs. You know, waiting at the door would be a great one to work on over the holidays. You know, just my dogs are pretty good at it, but I was thinking for for what is it you want to work on that you can work on inside and so you don't have to face the cl- the the elements is wait at the door. So that's part of the cooperative care. Like you're already going to have it working through the cooperative care. It's one of the things that I love about this book, right? Is I get a lot of people who come to me like, oh, I want the dog to stop, blah, 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 whatever it is. And I'm like, hey, so let's work on this cooperative care thing too. I mean, I know it's completely unrelated and guess what? It ends up fixing the other problem too because the dog is learning more impulse control and we're learning how to read our dog better and how to have it be, have the, the interaction be more conversational in two ways instead of perhaps us being a little bit bossy which we're known to do on occasion. Yeah. But I was thinking that, that and, and so great, absolutely. So every listener now has to go out and buy a copy of our cooperative, the cooperative care book that we are going to be using in order to cure all the problems with their dogs. Right. So Dr. Jones, if you see a big spike in your Amazon sales, you can just say, I mean, I've, I've already probably, I think I've purchased the book for five people. And have recommended it to every customer since I started using it months ago. Cooperative care is like my hill to to forge this year, even more so with my ducks, because I think it is a rich blessing. Right. So one of the other things I wanted to talk was going to recommend, though, is think about the things not just that annoyed you during the holidays, but what are things that perhaps you want to work on with your dog that doesn't require you being outside if it's nasty weather and waiting at the door might be one of them. Um, Being a little bit more patient for when meals are going to be served is another one. Um, Things like, you know, working on invitations, like you want to get on the couch, you need to sit first and then I will invite you up. So I think that there's a lot of little things that you can do that don't require a huge amount of effort, but will increase the impulse control in your dog and have you feel like you have a little bit more control over the environment in which you live. So that would be one thing I would suggest that people take a look at. So I I will say I consider spring and fall in Athens, Georgia, dragon season. I'm dragging because the dogs are out out of practice, walking nicely on leashes because during winter it's gray and gross and rainy and misty and nasty here. And in the summer, it's like walking around in someone's mouth. So spring and fall, we all walk our dogs a ton because the weather's pretty. Well, if our dogs haven't practiced any leash skills in five months, that might be a little touch and go. And crummy walks do not make for wanting to do it again, it turns out. And then also it's dragon season. Because all of a sudden the whole environment wakes up too. So, yes. you know, in, in we just made it through autumn where all the deer are in rut and the squirrels are running around grabbing every last morsel they can find. And 
the trees are are naked and so now my dog has sight lines where he can see a cat in the next street um and so they're louder the the environment in and of itself is louder the crunch of a deer walking through the leaves is louder than a deer walking through the grass the rest of the year so spring and fall as the world is waking up and then hustling to take a nap is much more environmentally stimulating for my dogs and they struggle more with that. So I can use summer and winter to really kind of work on those skills as we transition into those times. So they're firmed up again. So those, those walks in the springtime on the pretty days are easier and more enjoyable for both of us that our partnership is stronger. Right. Well, one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about that is, is so people are like, okay, so great. So how do I improve my leash walking skills when I'm not out walking on my leash? Well, one of the things that I have people do when we start loose lead walking is loose lead walking without the leash. So you're in a contained area, like, um, I don't know, your basement or your living room or your backyard if it's fenced in, and you just walk. And when your dog checks into your side, he gets a treat. You just keep walking. It doesn't matter what your dog is doing. But whenever the dog checks in right on your side, that's when you get a treat. And pretty soon the dog's going to go, oh, wait a minute. If I'm right by Julie's side, stuff happens. This is so cool. So they start hanging out by your side. And then what I'll do is I'll snap a leash on and let them drag the leash as we walk around and do the same thing. And then eventually when you pick up the leash, the leash becomes inconsequential because the dog has made the decision to be by your side. So that's something you could do inside. You could still walk around. Every time your dog shows up by your side, you give them a treat till pretty soon they're there all the time. Then let them drag a leash. And if you have a garage, pull both of the cars out of the garage and do it in the garage. And then on the days, the, the occasional days when it's kind of nice and warm, find an enclosed tennis court or a baseball field. Or if your backyard is enclosed, do it back there so that you're doing it in a wide variety of places so the dog doesn't just think, oh, this is an indoor activity or this is a garage activity. We want the dog to understand that I'd want you to do this no matter where I'm walking, whether it's inside, outside, in the garage, wherever. I really like Leslie McDivitt's one, two, three game. It's a really useful pattern game for getting humans to have loose leashes with their dogs. So she is the originator of the Control Unleashed program. She's fabulous. I think she's smart and pretty um, and and quirky. So she'd fit right in with us. Her books are specifically geared toward people who are doing like sports work with their dogs. And then their dogs are tipping over threshold um, through arousal, typically. So getting too excited about all the other dogs running around in agility. Right. So how do you build impulse control and self-control and a better partnership? during times that are a little bit intense that might be difficult for your dog. And then she also is a puppy program and she has a third book that's called reactive to relaxed. And I want to say the one, two, three game is in reactive to relaxed. So we use it in puppy class to teach polite leash walking. It's like the simplest thing in the world. Cause you can teach it to anyone, adult, child, doesn't matter. Um, any dog and it's super super quick the only dogs that it would struggle with it would be a dog who can't hear because then you would have to do like one two three with your hands and one two three by the way is not not magic you could do uno dos tres you can do 
rock, paper, scissors, it doesn't matter. All you're doing is creating a pattern that's predictable to the dog that on whatever the third consistent thing you say, the dog is going to get some sort of meaningful treat that's important to them. So you have the dog on or off leash, it doesn't matter. You're in a safe space. So that might be in the house, that might be in the car, that might be in a fenced yard, it doesn't matter. Um, And you just say one, two, three. And on three, you pelt your dog with a piece of yummy food. And you do that over and over until the dog's like, wow, you are a simpleton. And this is a brilliant idea. I just get to listen to you count and eat cheese. Um, But very quickly, what you see is that the dog is in connection with their handler. And when their attention starts to drift, as it will, I think it's kind of like the middle name, right? Because there is a three-part pattern, if you say one and the dog's a little bit distracted, when you say two, it's like Marie, my middle name, like, uh uh-oh, and then only a predictor of good things instead of the bad things that my middle name has typically predicted. And then three, like, oh my goodness, there's going to be string cheese and the dog checks in. So one of the things I like about it is even if your dog doesn't engage, you just keep counting and on three, you pay the dog again. Eventually they're like, holy guacamole, there's three pieces of cheese down here. I'm the luckiest dog in the whole world. And they lovingly look up at their handler and there's no fuss, no muss. And so you get a dog who very predictably is learning how to disengage from stimulus that's exciting because they have a really big volume of experience that one, two, three makes really good things happen, right? So um, as opposed to children who believe one, two, three means awful things are going to happen. True. Very true. And in fact, yeah, the middle name thing. Yes. I always knew that if I heard Anne, Julie, Anne, Fudge, oh my, oh my, you know, nothing good was going to come with the use of my full name. I have a question about the game. With the three, do you drop the treat in front of the dog or do you give it to the dog? I usually have them drop it. Sometimes you can give it to them. I don't know that it really matters. I think it depends on the dog. So if your back hurts, drop the treat. It'll be fine. I mean, not if your dog's blind because then they're going to, or use a stinky treat so your dog can find it. Stephanie recently said in a class, it's science, it's not rocket science. And I was like, oh, I love that, right? So I think do what works for you. So try it. Try it both ways and see which one works okay. I like one, two, three. And when I'm doing it with little kids, I put down paper plates. So we use the paper plates as dots and we space them so that you stand at one dot and you go one, two, three, and then you put a dot on the next paper plate. So it keeps the child kind of wrangled too. Like we all know where the reinforcement's going to happen. Typically, child has a six-foot leash, mom or dad has a four-foot leash, so we can keep Fido from accidentally pulling Hunter off of his feet or not jumping on him and knocking him down. And, and the child's not accidentally pulling on the dog because they got distracted from by their shoelaces and, you know, whatever. So we're just trying to keep things kind of loosely organized, and you do up and down the hallway. Well, guess what? In the spring, when the weather's pretty, you'll be able to do up and down the driveway. Woohoo! And then you can do from the driveway to the next driveway and back again. 
and then maybe to the other driveway and back again. And before you know it, you have a good team of how to how to do the thing by by laying all of that groundwork during the sleepy winter when it is quiet and there's some ease in the system. And I move it very quickly into stores and and locations that are dog friendly. So generally speaking, like Lowe's and Home Depot and and Tractor Supply Company um, are all generally speaking pretty as long as your dog is well behaved and friendly um, and not reactive, they they welcome those dogs. On a pretty day, I will totally work outside. And if your dog is reactive, putting them in a situation where they're going over threshold isn't making them less reactive. It's actually going to make them more reactive. But we can help you find someone who can help you so that you can work while the dog is under threshold so that maybe by springtime you can take them to those places that they couldn't handle before. Um, I, I'm going to share a little personal boast. Marco, my eight-year-old pot cake on Monday, worked for five strangers. That's huge for him. That is huge, yes. One of those, one was a guy, right? Like he walked on a leash doing polite leash walking from platform to platform with a loose leash with a handler he's never worked with previously. And he was, yes, he was relatively relaxed. He was happy to do it. He was only a tiny bit uncertain. So we were building at that really beautiful threshold of where we were expanding skill but we weren't breaking the dog, right? We weren't, we were just stretching skill a tiny bit. Um, And honestly, if you had asked me five years ago, would he be able to do that? I would have told you no. Absolutely not. Well, good for Marco. Right, so uh, this year for, um, for me has been about setting aside my ego and working at a pace that works for Marco. And that has worked way, 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 way better. I know exactly how difficult that is for all of us. Right. So one of the things I did want to mention, too, is to realize that uh, maybe one of your goals for the next year is to have a better understanding of who your dog is. I remember thinking with Zuzu, because, for example, if if I hold her paw too long, she really doesn't like it. Whereas Bingley, he wanted me to hold his paw. You know, it's like we were holding hands. So I think Another thing is taking a step back and figuring out who is my dog and what is it that I can do with my dog to make things better, not just for him, but for me, for both of us. And so, you know, if you've got something that really did not go well at the holidays, I think one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, did I put my dog in a position where I set him up to fail because I wasn't appreciative? of his own limitations. So I think maybe the idea of assessing who my dog is will also help to give you the guideline to what it is you can do to make things better the next time around. So I I love the fact you said about putting your ego aside because that's one thing I think we all have to remember sometimes is it's not really about me. It's about what my dog can and cannot do right now. And, and if I wanted to do something different, how do I move forward within the framework of who my dog is? Right. There's a certain amount of surrender to it, I think. And there and it can even be a little bit of grief, right? Like we all have dreams about what our dogs 
will or or, yes. or whatever won't be. And what I am endeavoring to do is to find much more comfort in who my dogs are and the joy that that is. And instead of trying to work some agenda, I do a lot of socialization work with fearful dogs during the winter from the car. Um, so the dog has a barrier and I use parking lots because in the winter, people are less likely to come to the far reaches of the parking lot to try to say hello to my dog through a window than they are when the weather's pretty and we're all like, oh, I'm going to get extra steps in. So I use big parking lots at stores or plazas or malls to do socialization work. Um, to shout out again to Leslie McDivitt, I use the look at that game pretty regularly, um, which is basically just a game where loosely you're saying to your dog, like, hey, you don't need to worry about all the hazards out there. You can just kind of stay tuned in to me and I'll point out the hazards so they don't surprise you loosely. But it's hugely helpful to the dog because they sometimes can lay aside some of their anxiety. So I do a ton of we're sitting in the car and I'm like, oh, look, there's a there's an old man over there. Oh, look, there's a dog over there. Oh, look, there's a squirrel. Do you see that squirrel over there? And just teaching the dog how to take in an environment and not get so worked up about it. Right. Right. And working at a level at which, so I'm not parked. So maybe if there's a squirrel, I'm not parked right next to the trees. I'm parked in another part of the parking lot where we can look over and see a squirrel, maybe at 30 feet where I know you can look at the squirrel and have a fighting chance of looking back at me rather than if the squirrel's leaping on the trees right in front of us, that may be too close within too much of a, of a threshold level for you. So I think that's another thing to think about is, um, you know, work at a threshold level where your dog can actually be successful. And then you can reduce that distance as we get better at this, but far better to work at a little bit extra distance and have build some success and confidence in your dog than to try things too close. It's the same kind of thing with the cooperative care. You can push that too far too fast. You can push thresholds too far too fast. And that's a real temptation. Um, and honestly, it's a temptation with trainers, too. It's like, oh, we're doing really good. Oh, no, we're the most guilty. Yeah. We are absolutely the most guilty. We're like, I'm going to get one more toenail. Right. I'm going to get one more repetition instead of going, I need to stop it well enough. Right. That's the other thing is I try to remind people is that when you get that perfect response, stop. Just stop and go home. It's so hard to do, though. Like, I totally own how that is to do but you do but you want to try to do that because you want to be able to have your dog end on the most positive note that his last experience of what we were doing was absolutely the most positive that's what he's going to remember leave it there and go home Well, and i and maybe the science will prove this out one day i will tell you i think the real learning occurs during the downtime in between sessions I have seen this manifested in my practice for over 20 years. You do 10 repetitions with the dog really struggling. You take a break. A couple of minutes later, you count out your 10 treats to do the next 10 repetitions. And the dog offers the behavior you were trying to get them to do in the first set. It's as if during the downtime, they sat there going, what is that? weird woman with the hot dog getting at and they suddenly make the leap in learning of like oh 
oh, I wonder if it was this. It I'm it never ceases to amaze me how much of dog training is just waiting and letting the dog sort it out a little bit. And it's one of the hardest things to do. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. so hard to do because we were so we so desperately want to help by saying the word again or trying to lure the behavior again or putting pressure on the dog. My experience is it doesn't really help. Not the way we think it does. Often taking pressure off and giving the dog a little bit more space, either physically or mentally, does profoundly help them to process and get them to process. Right. Which is one of the reasons why I tell people when when you want to practice a behavior is do it for three to five minutes and then let it then then stop. You know, do little training spurts. You're going to do much better at teaching your dog what you want him to do if you choose one or two things to do for three to five minutes and do that five or six times a day. That's going to teach your dog a lot more than if you try to grind out for an hour the same behavior. That's just not going to work. So I think intermittent intervals of training are a terrific thing. I think giving it in small doses. The other thing I tell people is is try to give your dog a chance to respond. Ask him once, you know, and then count to five or ten. And if he hasn't responded, reset and try again. I said, it's kind of like me going, what's the capital of Michigan? 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 You're like, hold on a second. Let me think for a minute. As And it's Lansing, in case for those of you who didn't know. Um, give me a chance to think. And when I do that, when I say that to people, they usually laugh and go, okay, I get it. And they're usually much better than at giving their dog a chance to think. So I think that um, just think in terms of your own experience that sometimes I need a second to collect my thoughts and figure out what it is I want to say or I want to do. Your dog is the same way. Well, let's give them credit for the fact they don't speak the language. <laughs> true, true. Right. So it'd be like me asking you what the what the capital of Michigan is in Polish. How much is that going to help you? Repeating it over and over more loudly. Right. So. Um, it's interesting. We have a, I use Kay Lawrence's um, from learning about dogs. I use her foundation clicker course as a handler class in my practice. And we play a game called Genabicab one of the weeks where the humans are learning the way our dogs have to learn. And it's really fascinating. No one has ever walked away from the game having tried to manipulate the person they were playing with you know, being at cross purposes with them. No one has ever walked away from the game having been stubborn, right? What they, Because they're just experiencing what they experience. Many of the things that they have maybe perhaps attributed to their dog in the past, they suddenly go, oh, wow. Yeah, no, I got a lot of stuff going on when I'm trying to learn the way, kind of that raw animal learning, the way a dog has to learn. Um, I'm juggling a lot of criteria there. I don't really have time to be a manipulative jerk. Right. So um, it tends to soften them about their dogs a little bit and to go, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm expecting too much or moving too quickly. So um, we tend to make for much kinder handlers when we're put on the receiving end of the messiness of, that is humans. So I'd be interested to see what things listeners um, would like to work on through the winter. And maybe we can answer some ways to incorporate that. Um, I do a ton of working thresholds, doorways, in the hallway. Use the bathroom door. Your dog has no drive to go blasting through the bathroom door or a bedroom door. And you can practice there 
before you practice an exterior door or you can practice the door if you have a garage to the garage with, with the garage door closed so it's safe like if your dog does blast out the door if they make an error you're not worried that they're you know going to be loose running through the subdivision working on teaching your dog maybe what you want them to do when you're eating Maybe you want them to go lie on a mat or or practicing by having your neighbor across the street come over once a week for blueberry muffins and coffee and having your dog learn how to settle and have a guest come in and not jump on them and relax and hang out and enjoy blueberry muffins and Mildred from across the street. So I think there's an easy way to kind of make it through what is sometimes a little bit of a lonely time of year. And to practice some good skills with our dogs so that when the weather does warm up and the world becomes a little bit easier to navigate and not as icy, we can incorporate our a dog who's comfortable with it. We can incorporate more and do more with them, enjoy more with them. Um, I will say I love that um, there's a post today going around Facebook about can we please normalize not constantly trying to enrich our dogs. Your dogs need a tremendous amount of sleep. Enrichment should not be a competition. It should be right. fun. So, so yes, enrichment's important, but your dog should not be up 20 hours a day. That's awful. Right. Don't do that. It's right. bad for them. So I, I hope that this helps families go, okay, well, what can we work on during the winter instead of like, oh, no, we can't do anything until May. No, there, there's lots you can do. And it can be, and, and, and also to think in terms of, I'm not asking you or we're not asking you to carve out two to three hours a day to do this. We're asking you to carve out a few minutes at a time to work on something. And you'll find that the accumulated effect of working on something for a few minutes every day will have the desired effect. So um, let us know if there's something in particular you would like us to address over the winter as far as a behavior that you may be trying to instill in your dog and you're having difficulties with. Uh, we would love to address those. Also, too, if you can, either give us a five-star review or be sure to like us on Facebook and on uh, wherever you get your podcast. That will help others find us as well. And uh, thank you for listening to uh, Your Family Dog, and we'll see you next time. 